ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. She was able to channel that anxiety and found herself in a role that actually sort of required her being on threat alert all the time. And of course, in a culture like U.S. politics, very high stakes, often that kind of always-on behavior is really recognizable. But what happened is at the end of four years, campaign, serving in the White House, her body started to break down. She tells a story of one day she was typing on her computer and President Obama's chief of staff came and looked over her shoulder and said, Alyssa, you're not typing words, you're just typing gibberish. And it was literally her brain had kind of stopped. I see that happen a lot where people who are who are sort of good at channeling anxiety into action push 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 and often end up in crisis and I myself have been there and 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 that's I think that's when the ultimate sort of question happens of how do I change my life how do I heal from this and get healthier It might start with a tightness in your throat butterflies in your tummy or a whirlwind in your head I used to call this feeling stress, but I'm now understanding that the term anxiety actually is what I've felt at different times in my working life. Hello, I'm Lisa Leong, and today on This Working Life, we're speaking with the entrepreneur, podcaster, and author, Maura Ahrensmilly. This is about her new book, The Anxious Achiever, Turn Your Biggest Fears into Your Leadership Superpower. We're also joined by psychotherapist Carolyn Glass, who partnered with Maura on the book. Maura, your latest book aims to normalise anxiety in the workplace. Can you share with us the first time that your anxiety impacted your work? What happened? You know, I, I think that my anxiety kept me moving always. I relay my experience with with my anxiety as the inability to ever settle or sit still or fully often be present because my mind is always six steps ahead. And so Mm. in my first jobs, my anxiety actually was really um, rewarded because I was an executive assistant. And so it was actually my job to be six steps ahead of my boss. (laughs) I managed people's travel schedules. I managed big events. Like that was my job. And it became such a habit to me. But when it became really, really, really debilitating was when I had my first big managerial role. And my anxiety, my imposter feelings were so out of control that I gave away all my power at work to my deputy because I thought it was such a mistake to have me in this job that I was clearly not ready for and not good enough at. My deputy was quite a, uh, let's say, extroverted guy. He was from Australia, actually. He was a great guy. He (laughs) meant no ill will. But I thought, he knows what he's doing. I'll just let him run things, even though he worked for me. And when I look back on that, I see the anxiety controlling my behavior and me not being the boss of it. And what's really interesting is, you know, you have a, a podcast as well. There are so many beautiful, candid stories from leaders about their mental health challenges, but there's still an element of shame, which you draw out in your book about being honest about anxiety. Why is this? I think there's a million reasons. And 
I think it's a very um it's a very capitalistic notion in many ways. I think that anxiety is a very normal human emotion that people have probably been feeling since the dawn of time. But our anxiety that manifests at work is around our performance, our worthiness, our likability. And those are all very much driven by a sense of ourselves needing to prove ourselves. It's very self-driven. And I think that there's a lot of shame in it because it contradicts with what we see as success. It feels weak. It feels like the opposite of everything that we have been taught, certainly in the culture I was brought up in, that is leadership. And so it feels extremely shameful because it feels like you're admitting that you are not strong enough to be up there. And that is a very, very vulnerable place to be. As you've shared, actually, it's something that we all feel. And uh, it's a normal thing to feel that way. Carolyn, can you tell me uh, if you've noticed any shift in the management of anxiety, especially since the pandemic? I think because this huge external thing arose, people did become even a little bit more comfortable than they had been admitting I feel really nervous that things are out of my control. And then actually saying, maybe I could get some help with these feelings that I have. And then realizing, oh, it's not always because of external stimuli. This is actually coming from my own body and my own brain. So the way you can manage that is by understanding the whole process. So there are some benefits to anxiety in its primal form. It alerts us to danger. It can also give us a boost of adrenaline before a big presentation. But Carolyn, how do we know when anxiety has turned maladaptive as opposed to helpful? It's pretty individual, but basically the line is, is this getting in the way of my day-to-day? And some good clues to look for are sleeplessness, um, kind of the physical responses. Sometimes people feel like their chest is tight. They can't breathe. Their heart is racing. They can't speak. They're sort of noticing themselves blushing. They're having a physical reaction. Um, But really, really the line is it's excessive. It gets in the way of the way that you might want to be functioning. Maura, have you got a story about uh, when anxiety has turned maladaptive? It doesn't have to be you. <laughs> <laughs> I, ha- I have, I have so many stories. I have, I have stories of how anxiety has turned maladaptive and really caught people in their tracks. You know, one of my favorite stories um, is that of Alyssa Mastromonaco, who was um, President Obama's. Um, Deputy Assistant Chief of Staff, Mm. and she's a very anxious person. She also has IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. Mm. So she is someone who has learned over the past years that her anxiety became very, very sort of dangerously physical. But, but as she told me in our interview, what's so interesting is that you know being anxious in the White House and being responsible for logistics, like getting people out of Cairo when there's a threat to the embassy overnight was actually very adaptive for Mm. her for a really long time. She was able to channel that anxiety and found herself in a role that actually sort of required her being on threat alert all the time. And of course, in a culture like 
U.S. politics, very high stakes, often that kind of always-on behavior is really recognizable. But what happened is at the end of four years, campaign, serving in the White House, her body started to break down. She tells a story of one day she was typing on her computer and um, President Obama's chief of staff came and looked over her shoulder and said, Alyssa, you're not typing words, you're just typing gibberish. Oh. And it was literally her brain had kind of stopped. And I see that happen a lot where people who are who are sort of good at channeling anxiety into action push 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 and often end up in crisis and I myself have been there and 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 that's I think that's when the ultimate sort of question happens of how do I how do I change my life how do I heal from this and get healthier Okay, let's go into some useful interventions that, you know, for these moments when it's become unhelpful and you've noticed it. So there's a great three-minute exercise we can do on a busy work day when things are sort of that uh, tide is rising. Mara, can you explain how the three-minute exercise works and what we might do? It doesn't even have to be three minutes. I mean, this is the thing. And, and There's a tremendous amount of research, right, that giving ourselves compassion is very powerful um, for improving our mental health and sort of calming us in a state. And something that I like to teach people um, is adapted from Dr. Kristen Neff, who's at UT Austin, famous researcher on self-compassion. And... um, I interviewed her for my podcast and my book and and we did some we did some exercises and I thought you know one of the problems when you're operating from a place of anxiety is that sometimes you just want someone to come and tell you it's okay you've done a good job today things are going to be okay you can stop now and when you're anxious it's really hard to feel that right there's no end point because things are going to be bad And the act of physically stopping, settling, trying to breathe, and really breathe not just in your upper chest, but try to breathe down low in your belly and get a good breath and a good exhale. And putting your hands on your sternum so that you can kind of center yourself, give yourself that sort of comforting touch. And... What I, like, what I like to do is I like to ask people to think of something that they did well today, that they felt good about. And it, it could be something really silly, like I remembered to, to call my mom or, you know, I bought fresh fruit for the kids for breakfast so they, you know, aren't eating cereal, in my case, for the 18th <laughs> day in a row. Or, this feels real. <laughs> <laughs> or I got outside and I did a walk during one of my calls and I feel really great, right? Something that you feel good about and, and really trying to see that and, and really telling yourself while holding your hands on your sternum, I did a good job. And trying to pause your mind and feel that you did a good job. I find that one, it is very physically calming, 
but it is also sort of an adult version of getting a pat on the shoulder and on the head and saying, you know, great practice today. Good job. And feeling that sense of ah, exhale. <laughs> That's so simple but powerful, Mara. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm wondering how you know when to do that, um, to sort of tap yourself on the shoulder and say, okay, I think it's time to maybe take a pause. I mean, I think anytime you feel flooded, you know, like you, you feel like I, I'm, I've sort of lost control here. And there are like, I can add a couple um, exercises to Mora's um, that are all easily Googleable and on YouTube um, that are just, you know, they're each like, take a moment, acknowledge that you feel overwhelmed. And it's kind of like boots on the ground, stop. I'm getting this threat response. Am I actually threatened? No, I'm actually quite in charge of my thoughts and my body. So let me remind myself of that and then move forward. So there's one, an Australian, Russ Harris, has a bunch of YouTube clips, and some of them are just a minute long called Dropping Anchor. And then there are a couple progressive muscle relaxation ones that are also very useful to kind of reorient yourself in the reality of the present and say, actually, my house is not on fire. I'm not under attack. I'm going to be okay. Mara, I really liked in your book when you discussed the concept of reclaiming your power when it comes to anxiety. Can you tell us about that? It's something from my friend, um, Susan Winchester, who has a fabulous book and um, and movement, really, which she calls Healing at Work, which, again, feels ironic for a lot of people who have ever worked, certainly in a, in a large office or in an office. But the idea that when you have come from a place where people don't feel safe, maybe relationships don't feel safe, and you have a habit, maybe like I did, of giving up your power, right? Of not standing up for yourself, of letting your anxiety take over, of really coming to the moment and reclaiming your power. And 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 I'll just sum it up. And basically it's it's a lot of what Carol and I have been talking about, which is, you know, sort of centering your body in the moment, trying to tell your body that things are okay, right? And you can do this through breathing. You can do this through touch. Sometimes you just got to move. You just got to break the spell of the moment. And really trying to reclaim a narrative that your anxiety has swept you away in, right? And so one of the things that I often do is when my catastrophizer voice steps in, Certainly, like think of before a negotiation, for example, right? You can walk into a negotiation and you can feel absolutely terrified and powerless and like you're just going to throw it all away and get really, really anxious in the moment. You can reframe a narrative. You can say, you know, I'm anxious in this moment. This is high stakes for me, but I have a plan. What I like to do is actually memorize what I'm going to say so that I have words that anchor me. And when I get tripped up in one of my negative thoughts or I start 
to give my power away. To again, pause and come in with, I have a plan. This is what I'm going to do. Maybe I have numbers in my head that I'm going to center around. Maybe I have a phrase. Often I'll use a phrase. I had a really toxic interaction with a boss who made me so anxious, I actually would sometimes lose the power to speak. Wow. And my husband helped me come up with a phrase, and it was very simply, that's not going to work. I'm sorry, that's not going to work. Something so simple. Did, and would you say would, that? Because I had a different me, phrase in my mm-hmm. head for that person. but What was your <laughs> no, phrase? I'm not going to say <laughs> it. Oh, well. <laughs> it sounds like it might have been dirty. <laughs> it's a bit rude. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I don't, know how, I don't know how many of your listeners have had this, but, you know, people in our lives at work tap into past experiences, past relationships, past fears, past, past traumas. And for some reason, this person in my life was so good at bullying me mm. and literally making me lose the power to talk that I had to figure out a way to keep some kind of power and manage that anxiety in the room. Carolyn, let's go into that. You know, you label them triggers. What's happening there? Why do some people have this ability to sort of create that uh, frisson <laughs> with us? <laughs> <laughs> Well said. Uh, You know, everybody has had formative experiences that have been really difficult. And so much of our adult lives actually can become reenactments. So, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily know this, this boss of Mora's, but this boss came to represent some figure that made, that brought her back to a little girl who couldn't speak. And so the trigger might've been his cologne. I'm assuming it was a man. I'm sorry. (laughs) Like (laughs) the way he dressed, the way he Mm. spoke to her. And somehow her response was to shut down. And so, you know, some of psychotherapy is like understanding who that figure was, but actually what's more effective is to be like, oh, when he says this, (laughs) I respond like a little girl. I'm not a little girl anymore. Mm -hmm. So I can just own it and say, that doesn't work for me, bro, or whatever his name was. Right. And keep it and keep it neutral. <laughs> I mean, because, yeah. because that's the other things like, you know, when, when sometimes when we get anxious, when I get anxious, I get very impulsive. So I actually, this, in this case, I lost my voice and my ability to talk, but I may as just have well started having verbal blah, 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 and filling space, which is something a lot of us do also when we get anxious, and that doesn't do us any favors as well. So, you know, I I just really advise people, I call it rehearsing. You know, when you get in touch with your anxiety and how it's showing up for you, you can look at your day, you can look at your meeting, you can look at this deadline that you've got coming, and you can make a plan and, and actually say to yourself, you know, this is a vulnerable area for me. This guy is really tough for me. So I really need to rehearse this and think about what I'm going to do in the moment so I don't lose all my power. And that's what I love about this approach is that it is very empowering because you don't have control over this other person. You do have control over how you react to this person. And so the next part is, how do I respond to this? (laughs) Yes, but a big piece of it, I think, is like in your ability to notice, I often have this 
reaction with this person. And because I know that, I'm going to choose to respond differently. And the thing Maura was talking about with the like schedule thing is like, I think something we do with our kids all the time is a lot of previewing. Here's what I see coming up. Here's what it's going to look like. And if we're prepared, we're going to be less thrown knowing what's coming. Maura, your book is about turning anxiety into a superpower. Where do we start with that concept? So when I say this, it's controversial because uh, smart people like Carolyn say, "What are you kidding? Anxiety is not a superpower. Anxiety is, blah. And my pushback is actually anxiety itself is not a superpower. When you learn to manage anxiety, especially if it's something that's been with you a really long time and has maybe been holding you back and keeping you, as Carolyn says, way too too way too tuned in to fearful and critical and negative messages, learning that you actually have much more power in how you react to your anxiety than you think is a superpower. Becoming self-aware enough so that you listen to your anxiety and interrogate it versus acting it out, as we talked about before, with micromanaging and so many controlling, so many of the things that we do when we're feeling anxious at work. Building empathy. I have talked to so many really powerful leaders who've been through mental health challenges, anxiety, depression, etc., who have said that, you know, when I was in that experience, I didn't feel empathy because it was just about survival. But when I came out of it, I looked at people around me in a whole different way, and it profoundly changed how I managed and how I showed up as a leader. And I think that having these tools makes you the kind of leader that people want to work for. It makes you the kind of person that people want to be with as a colleague. And that we, instead of feeling shameful and trying to hide how we feel and trying to cope away these difficult emotions you know, where there's great power in sitting with them. And, you know, sometimes when you're anxious, you're just anxious. And you use your anxiety, as we've talked about, when it suits you. And you work on calming it when it doesn't. But having that, you know, as Susan David would say, emotional agility, that's a real superpower. So, Carolyn, it's about noticing and interpreting what's helpful and what's unhelpful when it comes to our levels of anxiety. Well, I think, Lisa, you you use this word and it's perfect. That let's just notice, like non-judgmentally, non-critically, how our thoughts impact our behaviors. And if we feel like anxiety is getting in the way, we can change it. Um, and start to notice when it helps you, like when you're on the TED stage. And when it is disruptive, when you're up between midnight and three. Maura, what's a big takeaway you'd like to leave us with as we navigate the anxiety in our work life? My advice, I, I've, if you can access it, I'm a big fan of therapy. I think it's the most incredible tool for self-awareness and growth and um, will we'll pay dividends in your life. And, you know, I, I, I just would encourage people, you know, at this point, I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people who have different brains. And whether they have an anxiety disorder or they have a diagnosed mental illness like bipolar or their brains are neurodivergent, they have ADHD, they're on the autism spectrum, they've struggled at work and work has not been welcoming to them. 
And at some point, they had to look at that and figure out a solution to match the gifts they had and the ambition they had for the world. And it's hard to have a different brain like this. The world is cruel to it and work is not cut out. And so I think that we have to create cultures where we, it sounds corny, but we really truly embrace the difference that people bring in so many ways and stop punishing people for it and creating systems that punish. Maura, Carolyn, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Maura Aaron Mealy's new book, The Anxious Achiever, is out now through Harvard Business Review Press. I'm Lisa Leong. This episode was produced on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Thank you to producers Zoe Ferguson and Rachel Bongiorno and sound engineer Tim James. Next week, we'll speak with some First Nations entrepreneurs transforming the way we do business. Until then, work it, baby. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.